This week on Outrage and Optimism, we are going to explore how to live with both grief and joy in these very challenging times. Hello and welcome to Outrage and Optimism, a new podcast about dealing with the climate crisis and remaking the world. I'm Tom Rivet-Karnak. I'm Christiana Figueres. And I'm Paul Dickinson. Today, we discuss the challenges and opportunities of living through these days of such profound change. How do we make sense of the changes we're seeing every day and find a way to keep going when the outlook seems dark? Also, we speak to Norwegian singer-songwriter Aurora about the music she's been writing to try to change the world. Thanks for being here. So this week, we have something pretty different for you. You've been very patient with us as we bombard you with policy conversations, engaging as we hope they have been. But this podcast was always going to be more than that. So today, we're going to do something different. The question we want to explore is about how it is to live in this moment of extinction spasm and climate breakdown. It is in many ways the best of times and the worst of times to be alive. It's painful to see what's happening if you're paying attention, but it's also hard to imagine a moment where we could have more of an opportunity to work to improve the state of the world and be more impactful and lead, therefore, a more meaningful life. But we're seeing a lot of people facing really challenging mental states. People are concerned about their future, and that's taking a big psychological toll. Anxiety, depression, and anger are all on the rise. And while that's all very understandable, we need to work out how we can live with all of this if we're going to be effective in making the changes that we care about. So that's the topic that I want to explore today. Christiana, how do you respond to that? I'm very impressed. (laughs) With what? (laughs) I'm very impressed that you have chosen such a deep topic for today. Okay. And actually, Tom, it's something that underpins our daily experience, um, but also our mental, psychological, emotional approach to the challenges that are constantly hitting against our shoreline here, our personal shoreline, our information shoreline, our awareness shoreline. And I've often thought about that because, you know, I'm somewhat known around the world for being an optimist. And I keep on asking myself, so can I continue to hang on to that? And if so, under what conditions? And and what do I do? What do I do to do that? It's very exciting. I've often wondered that about you, actually. Well, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And I think for me, it comes down to personal agency. Hmm. It comes down to understanding that um, transformation and the change, as global as it is, and as daunting as it is, and as urgent as it is, is only going to be possible with personal agency. And that there is a very direct connection that is not evident all the time between what I think, what I feel, what I do, and what is possible out there in in, in the outside world. And that we have much more control over ourselves as individuals than we do over the bigger challenges. And that if we are so irresponsible that we don't intentionally direct how we think, how we feel, how we act as individuals, then we open up 
for the world to go completely crazy. But that if we assume that responsibility, there's an energy that pervades out there. And if one or two or three or 4,000, 40,000, 4 million people actually assume that responsibility, that collectively that really does make an impact. Yeah, no, I, I get that. But I think that, you know, you put your finger on really the source, I think, of much of this anxiety is that people feel a profound sense of a loss of control. They feel like the world is like spinning away from them and all of these things are happening. They can't really participate in them. They have minuscule con a, a minuscule level of influence compared to the scale of the challenge. And I think that is like the seed of what can ultimately then become mental anxiety. It can become depression. Um, and so I think that in a way that the antidote to that has to be to feel more of a sense of agency and to feel more participation in what's going on. Yes, and to understand the alignment between the individual and the collective hmm. and between the collective and the global. If you if you build an artificial wall between the individual and the collective and the collective and the global, if you build those walls, then you really get very, very concerned because then you hit up against the limit of your agency, of your impact. But if you understand that there is an alignment that takes us all the way through and that you can as an individual and you are responsible for your own approach to life and you understand that there is an alignment that takes us all the way through, then, then you do have more trust in the impact that you can have as an individual. Well, that's kind of like closing the difference, right? Because it's feeling like a change in myself is a change in the world. Paul, how do you relate to this stuff? I agree entirely with everything you've said and the way you've said it. And I want to introduce another kind of bit of complication, but a bit of good news. The complication is that we've, we've got a lot of history of having kind of great political challenges and, and then solving them in our societies. But they've always been national stories. We've got very few, like vanishingly few global stories. I mean, with the notable exception of the Paris Agreement of 2015, it's very seldom that nations have really come together to state that they're going to solve a problem. So I think not only can you feel frustrated about your, you know, your national situation and maybe your national government behaving badly, but then you can feel really daunted by, by the kind of absence of a global government and the absence of a narrative about how global successes come. But I think the incredibly good news is that as we wake up to the fact that, you know, the most powerful kind of voting we can do is, is the way we spend our money and the way we invest our money. As we wake up to the fact that actually some of the most important governing institutions are, are, are financial institutions or great corporations, we can, we can reconnect with agency and we can suddenly feel powerful again. We can fix wealth disparities. We can fix climate change. But you're right. To the heart of it is you've got to feel that you can do something and together we can do anything. So what about, I mean, there is a view now that, that this has gone too far, that there's nothing we can do, that now societal collapse is inevitable. And there's an encouragement of some people to feel sort of the associated grief that comes with that and to feel like the embracing of that grief is actually a tool for transformation and for action, which is pretty different from what where we've come from. But I can sort of see that it can be powerful in some instances. And, and for me, I can sort of see that it it's kind of depends on the individual that that could sort of work, but that net that's kind of a dangerous thing to try to advocate for across society. Um, what do you guys think? 
You know, what comes up for me, Tom, is the relationship between that or the parallel between that and when we lose someone who's really important in our lives. Hmm. Um, and so let me use my father as an example. So my father passed on in 1990. How many years ago was that? 28, 29. Okay, 29. Yeah. Um, and amazing as it is, I still miss him. And I still talk to him every day. Hmm. Now, the reason why I bring him up as an example to what you've just said is because when he passed, it was a huge hit and a very deep pain for all of us. Um, and we gave ourselves permission to go into true mourning about his loss. But then we also, having recognized and honored his absence, we also encouraged ourselves and each other, I'm talking about all, our, all, all my siblings, to move beyond that grief and that mourning to truly celebrating him hmm. and to bringing him back into our daily experience in his thinking, in his whatever, you know, in his contributions to life and to move toward a commitment of following his footsteps, of being inspired by him and using our own life to make a difference in the world. Hmm. To, to slightly modify a bit of Shakespeare, so long as people can breathe or eyes can see, so long lives this and this gives life to thee. So those who have passed, who've made an enormous influence, can have can be with us now. Um, and I think once so exciting about the, the struggle that we now face on climate change, you know, the infinite promise of the future is ours to keep. This is a, a moment of, you know, enormous significance for this generation and for future generations. And we can be proud that we are here. And I think that's, you know, that kind of comes back to, you know, why we call the podcast Outrage and Optimism. And I think to put, and, and I really have enjoyed, Christiana, your phrase, stubborn optimism over the years, because I think it sort of puts your arms around the fact that to be stubbornly optimistic, you don't need to pretend everything's all right. You can sort of be open to the fact that things are really challenging, that there are devastatingly sad things going on, but that your sense of optimism is actually connected to your belief in the future and that that is big enough to encompass any grief around what's happening currently. And I think to me, that has to be some version of that has to be the posture towards the future. Because it, 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 if we try to push away the reality of the present, then we get to this sort of insane situation of continuing to invest in things of the past without realizing that the world is changing. We get gripped by nostalgia. But at the same time, if we kind of get lost in a sense of, of, of grief around what's going on, we can lose some of our momentum to actually move forward. So I've always liked that idea that we can be stubbornly optimistic, but not, not sort of insulated from what's happening. Yeah, and, and I think honoring the grief and the pain um, is really important because otherwise you just sort of proceed through life in a very narrow, in a very narrow way. And you don't, you, you don't benefit from the depth of um, our connection to this planet, to nature in this case, or in my case, to my father. And the mourning that so many of us are feeling right now about the integrity of the biosphere is one that we have to honor and one that we, we shouldn't be scared of feeling. 
uh, how we should definitely honor that pain and that mourning and use the depth of that connection to rekindle a new sense of commitment. Hmm. Not stay inside the mourning exclusively. I still mourn my father, but I can also work productively in yeah. his honor. And I can still I still mourn what we're losing in nature, but that doesn't mean that I consume myself and my paralyze myself into not being able to contribute positively to creating a new world. So or believing are, that that's not possible. Or believing yeah. that it's possible. So we have to be able to do both. Yeah. And these it's sensations, these feelings, they drive uh, artists and culture. Uh, I mean, we you know we've had Ellie Golding on the show. You're going to go off now and interview Aurora. I mean, these these you know these musicians and, and and great artists actually are the backbone of social movements. They they've been so influential, you know, back to the Vietnam War, all through history, in fact. And th when the culture moves, you know, it, it eats everything else. Culture eats strategy for breakfast. I think it's a it's an exciting time for these emotions to turn into a spirit of an, of, of a time that can galvanize people and direct us to action. Yeah, and um and I think so. So let's talk about Aurora because we're going to go and talk to her shortly. I mean, I think she's a really interesting figure. She's 21, so she's, you know, she's she's super young. Two, three, I mean, I think even 300 million downloads of her songs. A very dedicated fan base from all over the world. Highly political. And to me, one of the things that, um, you know, made me interested in this conversation with her is her, she she addresses climate change. She she has images of Greta and the and the school strikes in the music video of her song "The Seed," which is well worth watching for people who haven't seen it. And she also just like embodies joy and stepping out and sort of like pushing these different political objectives and embracing her role at this moment. That's the other thing we haven't quite touched on in this conversation is it's also really joyful to be here at the moment and to have the opportunity to have this profound impact on the world. And if you don't get caught in the sadness and you're able to identify that and move through it, you can actually have a real spirit of service and joy. And I sort of see that in her. So I'm really interested to see how that manifests. To be able to manifest. hold both realities, To hold right? both, right. To yeah. hold both the grief and the joy. But it's not like, you know, grief and anger. It's grief and joy. It can yeah. be to, mm -hmm. to be here today. Yeah, there's a beautiful poem. Um, it goes, But yield who will to their separation. My purpose in living is to unite. My avocation and my vocation, as my two eyes make one in sight. And only when love and need are one, and work is play for mortal stakes, is the deed ever really done for heaven and the future's sakes. Paul, were you reading that, or is this in the treasure trove of your memory? Oh, it's in the treasure trove of my little memory. <laughs> I'm very impressed. We'll have a future special in which Paul will just recite poetry. Yeah, very good yeah, idea. Yeah, I've, hard, yeah. I've hardly touched on my own, of which there is an enormous amount. Enormous <laughs> amount. Right, let's go and talk to Aurora. Well, Aurora, thank you very much for uh, for taking some time here to join us on Outrage and Optimism. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, you actually, your your music is quite a fantastic natural flow, I would say, how you bring both despair and hope, or in our language, pessimism and optimism, and you bring them both so beautifully together. I, I'm not sure if I would use the word balance. Um, I think there's a natural flow between 
them. And I was just wondering, where, where does that come from in you? Well, I, it comes from what I want to want people to be left with after the music is gone. It comes from what I wish people to feel when it's quiet again. And I, 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 I wish for music to do many things to people. I think music is essential to help us feel, to help us you know, understand our emotions, to break us down a bit. But then I want it to build us up again so, we're, so we feel more prepared for the world than, than weak. But I want to create a release of emotion at the same time as I want to make people believe that you know it's going to be it's, it's going to be okay i'm very against romanticizing sadness mm-hmm. i am i'm very for e- expressing it but knowing that you're much better without um so i think that's where it comes from i i i'm i'm a very extreme human being in both ways so I, and and I like that you said it's not really called balanced. It's like this dance, isn't it? Right. Sometimes yeah, it's like a flow. you need yes, yeah, like a flow because sometimes you need more of the other, and but but they change just perfectly. And yeah, it's um, everything I do has to have a bit of both. I think. I, I read I read somewhere that you use the term emotionally educate the audience. Yes. Emotionally educate people. Is is that what you mean when you just explain now? Yes, yes, it is. I feel like people are. Um, um, we've made society in a way that doesn't really fit people, and it really baffles me to see how bad we are in talking about things that are really essential to talk about. Because mm-hmm. uh, when you talk about things, you get a release, and when you cry in front of someone you trust, it creates a deeper bond. Like. It, it can it can turn into so many good things when you finally release yourself. But we are in our society today, it seems like we're not allowed anymore, especially not men, which is really sad. And which you can see on the suicide rates, you know, 73% are men. And it's quite obvious to me why, you know. It's the emotional education that has failed us and the world isn't listening to the people that needs to be heard. And I think that's where music comes in, especially my music. I hope it can be there for the ones that need it. Um, you know, one one of your um, one of your latest masterpieces um, <laughs> brings in in the video. It brings in a few quick shots of the climate strikers. These very young. Uh, students who are out in the streets, um, not mm-hmm. not just protesting, but really expressing anger, expressing what I would call almost blessed anger, um, and and I was wondering how you know how how did that come into your experience? Why did you pick that up? Um, in, both in the video visually, but also in the in the song, because um, yes, climate change is definitely the at least from our perspective the greatest challenge that humanity has ever faced in in this mm-hmm. um, in, in this century. But it's not very usual to be picked up in an artistic form. I know. And it's been really strange to me how I feel like the more we have forgotten what music can offer us, the less, you know, we have gotten out of music. And I feel like music lately has, I'm missing that passion and that anger, you know, a directed anger, not blinded anger. That does no one any good, but the the really clearly directed anger towards 
the, the wish to change something that is not good enough where we are today. And I feel like maybe the young kids haven't really learned it yet. And that's why we are so free to really express anger. And it's the perfect age also to express anger yep. towards something that's unfair. And global warming is unfair, especially to us and our children, to all of us, you know. So it's such an unfair thing because we were just thrown into this world a dying world and now we are facing this incredible important incredibly important um change that we can either be you know all of us can be the uh, generations that killed the planet or we can be the generation that actually fixed it and and you know saved it for our future children and forever we will be the gen the uh, generations like all of us that saved the planet and I would love to have that on our shoulders wouldn't you too um but I think you know I I am I made a really a political album because I've I felt like I've been missing that in music especially in pop music and I make pop music but very you know it has a lot of content I would say um and yeah, I've just been missing it for a long time. And I thought, you know, if no one's going to do it, then I'm going to do it. Because, mm. yeah, it makes me feel very good also to use my voice. It makes things that are exhausting less exhausting. Because you know that if you're not benefiting of anything, at least the world is in some way. And it, it feels good to fight for something bigger than you. And I think people like that. And we need to just r remind them of how happy it will make us. Mm -hmm. to, to fight you know mm. and there and then it also fits with the uh, optimism part of your uh, podcast i truly believe that we can and i feel like it's important to show the protesters in my video because then i'm already showing that you know we are ready we are here we are already we have already begun it's not hopeless it's it's beginning to happen and i think we are you know a revolution is coming soon. Mm. Yes, indeed. <laughs> and that, you know, what you just said, I think, is, is, is very true, that so much of music becomes focused on the, the personal experience of me and my life and individual heartbreak and individual loss. And that's sort of ubiquitous once you look around. And I think one of the thing, reasons we were so interested in you, and it is that song, The Sea, but it's others as well, is you don't approach your life like that. You look at it in a much broader context. Mm. Have you always been like that? Or, or did that something that changed later in life? No, I have actually always yeah. been like that. I've been thinking about this exact thing mm. lately because I've been thinking like I'm already making music now that I know I will, I will release in like 10 years because that's when I think we need that song. So I've always been very thinking very far ahead. I don't know why. Maybe it was like a survival thing because I, I didn't really fit in at school, as you can imagine. Um, I didn't really work well with other people because I wasn't interested in, in people. Mm. When I was a kid, I was very interested in myself and the forest most of the time. Um, and I think I spent, when I was like a tiny bit bullied, uh, just like a tiny bit, um, I remember I thought, you know, but this is just now. What am I going to do in 10 years? Then I'm going to do something important. I'm going somewhere. Mm. And so I always had, you know, long dreams because then everything makes more sense. And if you're going through something hard, it's easier because you know that, you know, times change and life is longer than you think. 
even though we say it goes, you know, time goes too quickly all the time, but, you know, life is, is bigger than you think and the world is bigger than you think. And even you are bigger than you think. And I think it's nice to get some perspective. It's a nice a survival thing as well because small problems become smaller. I think, again, you know, one of the things, there's a lot of empowerment that goes on now mm. around climate change with young people But there's also a huge amount of anxiety, right? Mm. People are very anxious and connected yeah. to the suicides and social media and other things. You don't seem to be anxious. You seem to be very sort of happy to step into your power of being what you've called a true warrior for the mm. earth. Is that connected to that broader perspective that you view life through? How have you done that? I think it is. And I, I remember the first time I felt connected to people i felt very disconnected to other humans which sounds very strange but i did i didn't have anything in common with the people around me it, it felt like and i remember thinking how will i ever find someone to really connect with that understands me but then i realized it was so easy to connect if someone was going through something bad mm. and how how lovely it is to talk to someone about their Like I really enjoy hearing about other people's problems because it's nice to, it's kind of cocky even because I think I can help. I always think I can help. <laughs> uh, so it's kind of, you know, it's, it's almost, you know, I'm, and I've always felt in my childhood too that I could help because I often asked people if they looked a bit sad, you know, what is it? And then I, I learned a lot about how much we have in common. And if I ever felt the same, uh, you know, the next day I knew that, you know, this is exactly what she said earlier, you know, and then it made everything more easy to handle because I realized more and more very quick as, as a very young human being that these things that seem very difficult, they're so natural. And then they became less dangerous because I realized it's just all of these normal things that comes along with being a human and, and it's worth it because then you... You have all these beautiful things that you that also comes along with being human. And I think it just created a good perspective again. It's all about perspective, I think. Mm. You know, the way you 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 look at things. And I learned that as pretty young. And um I I get anxious if I if I go like if I'm in a locked place with many people, then I can get a bit anxious. But it's just because I'm used to space. Mm an air where, where I come from. So that's the only place I can get a bit anxious, but that has more to do with all the noise, you know. Um, but no, I'm not an anxious person because I, I believe I can offer the world more if, I, if I'm not. So I try to just become, you know, believe that I am more mm. than that. Well, I, I love your um, understanding of the importance of perspective and how that opens our own agency. So one, one of the things that, uh, that, that we remind ourselves is that impossible is not a fact, it's actually an attitude. Um, yes. And it's the attitude that determines whether something is impossible or if it's possible, whether something is despairing or is actually hopeful, because the seed of both hope and despair is always there. And so it's our attitude that looks at it, which determines which one is actually going to flourish more for us. Yes, absolutely. And that's very interesting that you say, because um, one of my um, singles, Apple Tree, um, is just about that, letting, especially the children, because um, in the chorus I say, let her save the world, she's just a girl, and let him save them Fantastic. all, because he's just a boy. 
And it's about, it's about exactly what you said, which is very interesting. It's about letting children have um, impossible dreams because then they can achieve impossible things. Mm. So it's exactly the same in changing the attitude and let the child believe. Because I thought I could save the world when I was a child. I thought if I showered in cold water... That would do something good for the in children Norway, in Africa. In Norway, that can be you very know. cold. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And that's why I got quite traumatized, actually. So I hate showering now. <laughs> all, all of the cold showers in my childhood. But I, but I thought that I, I could do something that would help the whole world. And then, you know, people told me that, oh, no, you can't maybe change the whole, save the whole world. But maybe mm. you can do this and that. And I think, you know, we should let children believe that they can because maybe they will you know and it's you know just about that their perspective well you've you've also made a very good point that we also agree with which is that we can contribute to global issues from a personal perspective Um, because ultimately all the global issues that we have we basically created them ourselves and so Mm -hmm. the collective effort of all of us can make an an impact and and I think you've been pretty explicit in some of your interviews that you really are encouraging each of us to individually take on our responsibility and change our lives I'm I'm not sure that I would join you in a cold shower in Norway I might join you in a cold shower in Costa Rica that might be a little bit better in Norway I'm I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> That's lovely. Well, I think it has to do, yeah, with a perspective, knowing that you have a lot of potential. All people have a lot of potential. All people are really important to the people around them, to the whole world. And if people just knew how important they are as individuals, they could really, you know, achieve amazing things and um, but it's also about attitude i think because we're very quick in kind of shaming each other for not doing everything right mm. and i think it's all about really just encouraging if if people do something that's a start exactly you know? start from where as you long are as we just because do what you're capable of doing mm. you know I, there are many things i can't change with my work right now like flying, for example, mm. to spread my message and really talk to people and play, you know, inspire people around the world. I have to fly sometimes, and which is heartbreaking, but that I can't do anything about right now. Mm. And, you know, it's all about knowing, you know, do the things you can in the areas that you can help, you know. And then I think it has to come to a point too, which is a slightly bit more aggressive act, but actually boycotting the companies that are doing the worst damage to the world and some of the richest people today are benefiting the most of what's actually causing global global warming so um and that's kind of i think that's also where we are coming to now to really understand that the true power lies with the people and we think that we can change that big those big corporate um things but we can because they depend on the people. What kind of a reaction are you getting from your fan base uh, to the fact that you've become so much more political on sexuality, on uh, on climate change, on the fate of the planet? Uh, you've become mm. much, much more political. And what, what reaction are you getting from the fan base? Um, in the beginning, I think I lost a few kind of, kind of a slightly bit narrow-minded people that felt like this wasn't what they signed up for. 
And I felt very happy to be able to, to know that I felt like the choice was mine. I could choose what fans I was going to have because if they are ready and prepared to just have empathy towards the world and each other, then they can join me, you know. And it felt really well and, you know, felt really well, felt really good. <laughs> and But now uh, my, my fans are really showing me how much I'm depending on them. And they're really showing me how much, you know, I, I really learned how much I appreciate them because without them, you know, again, the true power lies with, you know, a big amount of people. Together they can change, we can change a lot of things. And I'm so grateful to have them on, on my team and they're such nice people and I'm inspired by them as much because they as individuals are just as important to me like they like they don't think that maybe but they are um and i wouldn't be here without each of those people coming to my shows so again you see how much it matters that every person make a choice and then suddenly we're thousands of people it's it's beautiful That's the army that you're gathering. You've spoken about gathering an army. Yes, <laughs> an army of love. Yes. Um, yes, because I feel like up till now, politics and, you know, many people are approaching politic opinions in a very aggressive way, like me against you. But in my mind, it's, it's, only, um, it's only against, like, us against our uh, common like the problem we have in common it's it's not me against you or him against her it's us against something that we need to fight together you know us against the problem um so i feel like that's a good mentality and i i feel like a politics can never be like being a very a political artist can never be a dangerous thing because it's so open minded and it's all about the love It's not filled with hate. It's very, it's very fueled by love, by saving something you love or um, saving love. You know, it's it, it's all about that. And I think that's an important uh, um, difference that it's very fueled by kindness. <laughs> that's beautiful. I also wanted to ask you about fun because I'm very much on the side of having fun even while you know we are facing these incredible incredible daunting challenges but I just think without laughing and without having fun and without humor and you know there's just no way that you can continue to gather the energy that needs to be brought forward every single day so you've mm -hmm. spoken about fun and wanting to have fun so I just wanted to get your thoughts on that um Well, I think it's all about fun. I can see your whole body already having fun just <laughs> answering the question. <laughs> But I, I do have fun and it's so that's the best thing that has changed in my life. Now the interviews are fun because I get to talk about things I really care about and it's it's made it's not even it's like I don't know it, it gives me energy. Like this interview is mm. so pleasant. I love doing it with you. Um it's very nurturing for me. Very lovely. I'm having lots of fun. And so that's why you, you can tell i think i can see I it yes um, um, but yes i'm all, i'm all about fun i think most things are fun and when i'm i'm, I'm a very um patient person um and we have to have a lot of patience in my profession because you wait for something to happen all the time you wait between sound check and the show you wait for the plane to you know 
to lift, you wait in line to check, you know, we, we, we wait a lot. And we, we and some people might think that we waste a lot of time in our life to, to, to travel and to wait for the next step to happen. But I'm having a lot of fun even then because I, I, I'm very good at zoning out for like five minutes at a time and I'm in a completely different place. I write music all the time. Mm. So where do you go in those me. five minutes where you zone out? Oh, I just go inwards into myself. Um, I have those noise cancelling earphones, which is really good for my mind. I hate I hate the sound of the world sometimes, mm. especially when there are like it's a, a mechanical world, world, not a natural world, and it 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 brings me a lot of joy to kind of uh, shut that out. And I have these things I like to do. I love to count things. I love to clean like pull hairs from the people in front of me in the line <laughs> and hope that they won't notice it. I love to, you know, watch at people and you look at them and you can see so clearly sometimes what they're feeling. People are so funny when they're annoyed of a person taking too, too long time in front of them. It's very interesting to just watch The world is very interesting and you can learn a lot and laugh a lot with it. And I make sure to 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 spend all my time. Like I never make a meal at home without lighting a candle or having tea. You know, it's about making those small things also become really important and beautiful. Um, and it's all about those small things. You don't have to always go out and explore the world. You can make... Every, like small things very beautiful mm, by absolutely. just appreciating perhaps you know, even more beautiful yes even more beautiful because it's achievable and it it can teach you how much fun you can have just you you don't need anything else you're enough and i think that's the most um important kind of fun i have in my life with myself i've really learned how to be my own best friend which i think is very beneficial um And it's very fun. Um, and yes, I, I know that, you know, we live in a world also today where everything is not fun. And many people do things every day they don't think is fun so they can have fun later. Um, and I guess that's just how it is. But you can always find some way to kind of enjoy. Have the fun now. Why delay more. it until tomorrow? You can have more fun yeah. tomorrow. It's yes, not that like we're yes, going to run true. out of fun, right? You can always have more fun. You can always yes. generate more fun. Yes, you can always have more fun. You can and always a, generate more, more happiness and more love. Yes, you can. And, and, you know, there are always people around you to inspire or to make their day a bit better, which can be very fun for you too. It can give you energy that will last for a little while. Bring like a good meal to work, something you've made. I don't know, just small gifts for yourself all the time. I think that's very important. And then, of course, to dance, to go out and dance without drinking any alcohol, just being wild and it's you and you're there and you're present. That's a very important kind of fun for me. I love dancing. I feel more natural in my own body when I dance and when I sit still um, and I think that's such a, a good way to have fun because you're just I don't know and the more stupid you look the more beautiful it seems to the world because they seem that they they can tell that that's a person that has no walls they have utter freedom and that's one of the most beautiful things there is I think 
You're a beautiful soul. Mm, thank you. So are you. <laughs> Aurora, thank you so, so much. Thank, thank, I, I was going to say thank you for taking the time, but it's not about the time. Thank you for the richness of what you have shared with us. Really, absolutely oh. beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. We can do something really nice in this world, can't we? Indeed. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, that's so beautiful. quite a range of different people for this podcast now but I don't think I've ever had a conversation with anyone quite like that one with Aurora and I thought that she was remarkable in terms of her emotional perception in terms of her understanding of these issues and her role at this moment um and I was quite affected by sitting in the room and having that conversation with her how are you feeling now Christiana well I I was also deeply moved um I I I, I was deeply moved by the depth of her self-analysis mm. um, and the depth of her understanding of what is going on in the world and what is needed now in the world. And for someone who's 21, yeah. I think she's just wise beyond her years. Uh, I, I was really deeply moved by by her commitment to wanting to make a difference. Yeah. By her understanding of what the role is of art, in this case, music and song, uh, what the role is to allow people uh, to join her in connecting to the grief and the anger and channeling it toward joy and hope and optimism. Mm. And I was just so, I, I was really was very deeply touched. She's an amazing person. I So quotable. What is it she says? We should let the children believe they can save the world because maybe they will. And 
talking about if people knew how important they are, do the things you can and boycott the companies that are doing the worst thing. The true power lies with the people, she said. And that's absolutely true and, and so good to hear her say with such clarity and force. Yeah, I was really struck as well by her, um, how well she seemed to know herself. You know, she sort of seemed to know um, that she would have these, these, you know, these moments in this noisy world and she knew how to kind of go inside and regenerate herself. She seemed to have a really good sense of sort of how to keep her sense of true north in the noise of life. And clearly, given the art that she's made and the music that she's made, she feels, um, you know, the situation that we're in in the world at the moment very keenly. But I think that, you know, people who are feeling anxious, who are feeling depressed, who are feeling consumed by the moment we're facing um, could maybe do worse than sort of listening to that and understanding how she is able to regenerate herself. Um, and as such a young person, I found it really inspirational um, to hear that in her. And I, I agree. And I also um, was impressed by her willingness to take a stand on issues. In this case, she's taken a very clear stand on climate change and on sexuality. And um, and then let her followership decide yeah. whether they wanted to remain her fan base or not. Um, and for her to say, I can choose yeah. my fan base. I thought it was so yeah. such an interesting way of expressing leadership. Um, and you, know, you, you take a stand, you plant the flag, and then you let those who want to accompany you in those positions be with you. But it's not a followship. Yeah. It's not, I'm going to follow my fans. No, it's, I'm going to plant the flag. I'm going to stand for my principles. And those who want to be with me are very welcome and are very important to me. Yeah. But so it was a very interesting um, expression of leadership yeah, in I, the artistic world. Totally. Completely agree. Not blind anger, but directed anger. That, that was also brilliant. Yeah, very, very, the power of self-knowledge and commitment, amazing. And she's 21. Could I just ask, Tom and Paul, when you were 21, <laughs> were, were you as wise as this woman? Because I certainly was I'm not. I'm sure Paul has an appropriate poem for that. Um, <laughs> there's, a lot, there's a lot of poems about... Uh, <laughs> about basically i was a basket case at 21 and i just you know i'm in awe of these sort of godlike creatures who reach that level of maturity that i still aspire to get to one day i feel pretty much the same <laughs> no i i completely agree with you paul and i think that it's remarkable to sit there and hear that level of wisdom in someone so young um, and this was a very different conversation. This was a very different episode of Outrage and Optimism with the remarkable Aurora. But um, we were very inspired to have the conversation with her. And I hope you came with us on this journey to talk about what it means to live today. We also heard there a song from Aurora, which was the title track of her latest album, A Different Kind of Human. Check it out. You can find it on any good streaming service or download it or buy it. Her music is amazing. You should totally support it. So thanks for listening to this week's episode of Outrage and Optimism. Thanks so much for all of your support and engagement. We're loving the messages and we're doing our best to find time to respond to everyone and stay active on social media. Lots of you have been reaching out asking for more interviews with people we disagree with, which is a great suggestion. And we have a really good one lined up for you next week. John Ashford, the legendary DC lobbyist, 
who for years has been representing the coal industry and in fact came up with the term clean coal. We'll be letting Christiana loose on him next week, so join us for that. So Outrage and Optimism is a production of Global Optimism. It is produced by Clay Carnell. The team includes Pete Cotton-Brock, Chloe Revel, Natasha Rivett-Karnak, Marina Mancilla, Alejandra Vargas-Morera, Callum Grieve and Zoe Cholakantich. I'd also like to thank Nigel Topping and Michael Northrup. You can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter and please do subscribe. We'll see you next week. <laughs>